This is a sermon from New City Presbyterian Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. To learn more about New City or to hear more sermons in this series, visit newcitycincy.org. Scripture reading this morning is Luke 9, verses 51 to 62. It's found on pages 868 in the Bibles in your rows and is also printed in your bulletin if you'd like to follow along as I read. Luke 9, 51 to 62. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered the village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, New City. My name is Zach, and I'm one of the pastors here at the church. Uh, I'm not sure if you can tell from previous interactions we've had, or maybe you're listening to me right now, but you can maybe tell that I have a bit of a southern accent, uh, especially comes out if I really try and slow down and pronounce uh, my words. Uh, and that's because I grew up in Georgia, right outside of Atlanta in a little suburb there. Uh, and if you've ever been to Atlanta, you know that it is kind of this sprawling city. It just continues to go on forever. Uh, we actually have a saying there that it takes an hour to get from Atlanta in order to get to Atlanta. Uh, you just never leave. You just kind of keep driving in circles. Uh, but I lived in a particular suburb of Atlanta that really uh, blew up while I was there. Uh, there was uh, constant um, new buildings kind of coming in, and there was this one kind of commercial development that they ended up putting in uh, over a couple of blocks at this major intersection. Uh, they laid this foundation, all the concrete was there, there are these pipes even coming out for, I guess, where they're gonna do electricity, and then also where the water was gonna go, and they even kind of slapped like coming soon signs uh, all up along the fence work. Uh, and then the unexpected happened. Uh, it's 2008, right? The recession happened and everything halted. Uh, unexpected costs came up, uh, and these builders were blindsided. Like many of us, we didn't see this coming, uh, and this whole project stopped. I don't even know if it, it finished, honestly. It could still be there in the same way. Uh, so the builders, like many of us, didn't expect this recession. They didn't expect the costs that would come, and it kind of rocked their investment, their, their vision of the future. Uh, and Jesus is kind of coming today in the text that we're looking at and saying, I don't want you to be rocked by a vision of the future that you don't see. I actually want to tell you some of the things that you can expect when you follow me, some of the costs that could come up in your life. Um, and as we enter in the end of this part of Luke that we've been looking at over the summer, we see this kind of big transition where it even starts in this first verse that we see today that Jesus has set his face towards Jerusalem where he is heading uh, to suffer, to die, uh, and to be raised. And so as he's on that path, he begins kind of teaching and demonstrating to his followers, hey, this is the cost of following me. This is what you can expect when you throw your lot in with me. 
Uh, now, Jesus isn't kind of giving them the details of what those costs will look like, but he's giving them specific or a general kind of idea of, hey, when a cost like this comes across your doorstep, however it might look in your life, don't be alarmed. Know that it's coming. Know that I am with you as you have to face that cost. Uh, so today, we're going to see kind of how Jesus equips the disciples and us for a life of costly relationship with Jesus. And we're gonna do that by kind of looking at these three points in our text today. Uh, the first is the cost of our justice, kind of our sense of justice, right? Uh, the second is the cost of our priority, how we might want to prioritize our lives, what kind of demands uh, the most focus from us. And then the cost of our identity, um, our freedom to kind of choose, pick and choose what we most identify with in our lives. So let's start with the first one, the cost of our justice. Uh, so as Jesus kind of makes his way to Jerusalem, he makes a point to pass through Samaria. Uh, and many of you might know this, uh, but Samaria, uh, the Samaritans and Jews kind of had a rocky history. There's a lot of tension there. It was uh, oftentimes uh, uncomfortable for Jews and Samaritans to spend time together. Uh, if you're kids, uh, this is kind of like if Thor were to ask the frost giants, hey, can we spend time together? Uh, it would be very awkward, right? Or maybe Wiley Coyote, uh, or the Roadrunner, I mean, calls up Wiley Coyote and says, hey, can we like spend time together? I'd really love to introduce you to my family. Uh, it'd be awkward. Uh, or if you're more of like a sports fan, it'd be kind of like Joe Burrow kind of calling up Patrick Mahomes and saying, hey, can I come over and spend the night? Uh, that would be an awkward request and it'd almost be as awkward as that photo of them, right? Um, it just wouldn't work. Uh, except things are much, much worse with the Jews and Samaritans. Uh, there had been religious and racial tension that had been building for hundreds of years that had over time boiled over into violence uh, countless times, so much so that Jews would actually pass uh, around Samaria so they just didn't have to deal, deal with the discomfort. So it's striking to us, it should be striking to us to see Jesus, not just in today's passage, but actually multiple times in the gospel, actually prioritize going to the Samaritans and saying, I want you to know about my kingdom. I want you to know the gospel. I want to share myself with you. So in the face of potential conflict, face of potential violence, and really accepting a level of humiliation, Jesus reaches out to these enemies and says, hey, I would really like to spend time with you. Can I come stay with you? And it's no shock to us, kind of knowing the context of the relationship here, for them to say no to this Jewish rabbi. We don't want to spend time with you. You can move on. You can go from here. But what is really shocking to us, especially as modern Westerners, is what we see James and John then ask Jesus. They, Jesus, they ask Jesus, like, hey, can we call down fire from heaven and consume these guys? Would that be okay? Um, and that's intense, right? It is pretty, pretty up there. Uh, and not only that, but they're also kind of totally missing what Jesus's mission had been all about. And before we kind of go on and talk about what Jesus's mission is really about and what they've missed, I do think there's two things that we can kind of at least give them a little bit of credit with. Uh, the first that James and John are understanding is they have an exor they're exercising a level of faith in Jesus by asking him this. They're saying, hey, we know because of you this could happen. You can do this, right? They have their faith in Jesus. Uh, the second thing that they're also doing is they rightly understood the holiness of God, that rejecting God, that rejecting the Son of God ultimately would end up with judgment. They understand that. They know that that's the outcome for these Samaritans. So it's even more striking that Jesus then goes, hey, you got it wrong, right? He flatly rebukes them. You're missing 
something about my kingdom. You might have got these little points, but you've missed totally the big point, all the application of who I am and what I've been doing. And this is Jesus kind of identifying the first cost of following him, the cost of the freedom to dictate when and how justice should be done. The disciples have seen their creator, their teacher, and their savior be rejected, and they want justice for it. They said that should happen right now. And Jesus is saying, whoa, you're missing it. It's not time for that. It's not time for that. It's a different time. Uh, recently, I saw a video where some parents were playing a uh, trick on one of their kids where they let him go to bed at his normal time. This is during the school year. Uh, so he went to bed around like 8 o'clock. Uh, about two hours later, after he had gotten into some uh, good REM cycle, they woke him up and said, hey, it's actually time for school. Uh, so he gets up, gets all of his clothes on, actually makes his own lunch, uh, grabs his backpack, and is ready to hop out the door and go get on the bus. And then eventually, you know, his parents fess up and say, it's actually nighttime, it's not school time. Uh, they all laugh and then kind of go on with their nightly routine. Uh, so if some parents, you know, if you want to get able to play a little trick on your kids this fall, you can use that one. Um, maybe they'll know, I don't know. Uh, but anyway, uh, similarly, for Jesus to kind of okay this fire from heaven coming down on the Samaritans right now, would be like this kid going to school at 10 p.m. It's not time for school, right? It's time for sleep. And what Jesus is telling his disciples and us is that his first coming is not about bringing judgment and that our life shouldn't be about that either. It should be about something totally different. Uh, one commentator on this passage actually points out that Jesus' refusal to execute judgment is a consistent pattern for ministry. Now is not the time for judgment. Jesus is highlighting that the current era of his ministry is a period of opportunity and invitation. And you know, if you've, if you've spent some time in the Bible, the Bible speaks very clearly and plainly about what sin is, that sin is anything that we put before God, whether that be uh, things that we let dictate our lives ahead of his word, whether that be uh, things that we look to for a sense of meaning or anything that we kind of value more than God. Uh, that's what sin is. And so when we look at the Samaritans today, we know, hey, they have, they've sinned. They did that, right? They have rejected Jesus and there's a, a, a judgment to that. However, Jesus's mission, both in his life and in his death, was to actually tell and show people that there was a solution for that judgment that there was a way that our sin and our debt could actually be taken onto his own shoulders. And that's what he's wanting people to know. That's what he's teaching the disciples, that their primary concern shouldn't be declaring judgment on people, but should instead be about declaring the one upon whom judgment can fall, on Jesus Christ. He wants them to know that. I one little kind of sidebar here. I think it's really interesting to note, like you see in this passage that, okay, they move on to another city. I think sometimes people kind of look at that and say like, okay, you know, if somebody's rejected, uh, you know, the gospel, then kind of, you know, they're off on their own, whatever, right? But that's a very short-sighted application because uh, actually what you see in Jesus's ministry right before he ascends to heaven, he actually tells everybody, he tells his followers, go to the ends of the earth, make disciples in my name. And he includes in that list, the Samaritans, Right? So just because there is a level of rejection, that doesn't mean, okay, we don't care, it's off and over. No, the season is for opportunity. The season is for invitation. That's the time that we're in. So there's a, kind of two applications. I think there's more that we could take away from this, but the two that kind of immediately come to mind, and we've kind of been saying these two all along, is that we need to remember what time it is. Uh, it's not time for us to kind of point out uh, other people's blunders or ways that they are failing or misunderstanding God. Uh, instead, it's actually our time 
to be able to extend God's grace to them, kind of show them uh, and positively, instead of kind of coming to them negatively, what the mercy and grace of God looks like. There's one really practical, super easy way to do this. Uh, it's talking about yourself. Uh, we're all really good at that. I'm really good at that, at least. I can talk about myself. Uh, but talk about yourself in the context of God's grace in your life, the ways in which his mercy has actually been played out in your life. Because as you're doing that, you're actually giving people a real-time view into what the mercy and grace of God looks like for a real person. That's what they need to see. That's what they need to hear. Um, it's helpful for them to hear the ways that um, in the face of your rejection of God, that he's continued to move towards you with his loving kindness, with his patience, that he's been willing to pass over immediate judgment so that you can know how much he loves you. That's what people need to hear. Uh, the second application, which kind of applies to the first one too, we've been saying as well, is that we need to remember that we're not the judge. Uh, we don't know what's going on in people's hearts. We don't know the process that God has people in. And we also really don't have any kind of moral high ground to make judgments upon other people. And that's something that's particularly helpful for us uh, as we deal with social media, right? So maybe we need to press pause as we hit reply with that snarky remark. Uh, or maybe you need to think about that. We need to press pause when we're really tempted to gossip and to talk about that person who maybe has irritated us or hurt us. Uh, or maybe even when we just feel that temptation to kind of get that uh, adrenaline rush uh, from that whatever activity we do to, to make us feel self-righteous. What Jesus is doing here is he's highlighting that this is the first cost to following him, that we actually have to give up our sense of self-righteous justice and let that go. And the second cost that we're gonna see, we're gonna move into right now, is the cost of our priorities. Uh, so coming to the next section of scripture, we see that Jesus is on the road or on the way to Jerusalem and he runs into three different people. Uh, and each of those conversations that he have look a little bit different. Um, but one thing that is common in all of them is when each of them says, okay, I want to follow you, Jesus pushes back. And the question is, why, why is Jesus you know, pushing back? Doesn't this sound like he'd be a terrible like, church planner, right? Um, people would walk away. Uh, is he trying to kind of thin out his numbers, really looking for those strong Christians only? Is that what he's doing? No, what he's doing is he's actually trying to help them see something about their hearts. And so we're gonna look at each of these and see what is, what is Jesus saying to these individuals about what's going on in their hearts. So the first man who wants to follow Jesus wherever he goes, Jesus says that foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. In other words, what he's trying to tell this man is that following me and being in the kingdom of God means there's gonna be a conflict between the kingdom of God and your idea of what comfort is. You're actually going to have to cede your comfort in many ways in your life to follow me. Now, the second man who wants to follow after uh, his father dies, uh, Jesus says, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And so what Jesus is saying to this particular man is that the kingdom of God is actually gonna come into conflict with your family obligations. Uh, which is a hard thing for us to hear because family is really good. We really love family. But at times Jesus says that the kingdom is actually gonna cause tension there and that we should expect that. that that's a cost we should be aware of. And the third man, he wants to say goodbye to those at home. First, Jesus says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Or in other words, the kingdom doesn't really always coincide with our sense of convenience, uh, with our sense of timing, how we want things to play out. The kingdom of God is often in opposition to that. So we wanna hear like, what, what is Jesus not saying? Jesus isn't saying he's against people having homes. 
Uh, he's not saying he's against families or family obligations, and he's certainly not saying that he's against a well-timed goodbye. Uh, what Jesus is saying here um, is that he's ultimately kind of wanting them to notice that, that there's areas of his life that his kingdom is going to press into, that they're gonna be really uncomfortable with, that they're not gonna like, um, that there's actually a greater priority that needs to be given to the kingdom of God over all three of these areas. So what Jesus wants them to understand, what he wants us to understand is that ra- there's a radical change that has to happen in the way that we prioritize our lives when we follow Jesus. The kingdom of God and following Jesus means that everything else becomes secondary. It kind of takes its cues from Jesus. Uh, so as a preacher, I love it uh, when you're in a passage and Jesus gives you an illustration uh, because that means I don't have to come up with one. Uh, it's really great. So uh, one of the illustrations we actually see here today is Jesus talking about plowing a field. Uh, so in ancient times, uh, if you were to plow a field, uh, it was very uh, much a, a big effort. Uh, and so you'd have to pay really close attention to it. Uh, so you'd be moving kind of in a row over and over again. you turn around and go back again, right? And so if somebody was trying to get your attention and you looked away, it would be very easy for you to veer off and actually go and kind of mess up the area that you've already done, kind of rendering it useless. Uh, a kind of modern way of saying this is don't text and drive, right? You will leave your lane. Uh, it will happen, and bad things can happen if you do that. Uh, so this is the same idea that Jesus kind of puts forward in other places throughout the gospel, especially if you think about Matthew 6, where he says you can't serve both God and money. Uh, conflict is gonna arise there. You can't have two masters. You're gonna love one and you're gonna hate the other. You're gonna be devoted to one and you're gonna despise the other. You can't serve two things at once. That's really hard for us. Uh, I think we tend to want to have like God be in charge of like 75 to 80% of our lives. Uh, and that other bit, we want something else to dictate, right? Whether that kind of be our comfort, our wallets, our sexuality, or whatever kind of view of the good life is, We'd rather Jesus not have priority over that. We want to kind of control our lives. We want to have our seat on the throne and we don't want Jesus to be there instead. And so what Jesus is showing us here is that we have a priority problem uh, and that if we're going to be following him, that he's gonna have to reorder those priorities and he's gonna mess with us a little bit. That's gonna be uncomfortable. And I think uh, to some degree, we would all kind of recognize that we do have a priority problem, although it's really hard for us to know that until our priorities disappoint us. Um, So for example, right, if we are so devoted to our families, we want our families to be places of love, of comfort, or so much fun, but then when we hit some kind of difficulty that frustrates our plans, it can really devastate us, right? Like beyond just the kind of normal level of devastation, like it brings this kind of like soul-wrenching, well, what's the point of being, right? It can really wreck us. Uh, Or like think about this too, sometimes we want to think about the things that distinguish ourselves as maybe it's beauty, intelligence, or some other thing. And then over time we start to realize what happens. We get older, right? We fade. What we thought made us who we are is going away and that's really difficult. That devastates us. Uh, Or even think about your work, right? You have little corners in Cincinnati where you are bringing beauty to bear, where you are doing good work, where you are... um, making things better and and building bridges, right? Uh, And all these little corners of Cincinnati, but at some point, you're gonna have to hand that work off to somebody else, and who knows what's gonna happen? And that can be really devastating. And so when we see Jesus kind of highlight our priority problem, he isn't just telling you, hey, you have to pay this cost. He's also helping us be aware that he's trying to get our life in order so that when we do hit real difficulties that will come, 
that we're not utterly devastated, that we can actually fall on our real priority, which is his kingdom, which is his love, which is who he is. So what Jesus is telling us about priorities is that when we kind of make him first in our lives, he's going to put everything else in its rightful place. It's not that we can avoid all conflict, right, that, or suffering, that will come. What he's saying is that comfort, that family, that convenience, they're not bad, they have their place. But for these men, and often for many of us, something goes sideways and those things kind of fall out of order. And Jesus wants us to know that he's here to put them back in place. The question for us to kind of reflect on, are there areas in our lives where we kind of feel out of order? Where there's something that kind of uh, occupies an unhealthy level of meaning in our lives uh, that we know shouldn't be there? Is there some area of our lives where we actually let something besides Jesus dictate how we approach it and how we live there, what we do? And this morning, you know, as you're thinking about that, that might be a place that Jesus is calling you to sacrifice. That might be a place that Jesus is saying, you need to count the cost of following me. Kind of as we move into our next point, it's kind of important to realize like these are kind of things we have to do, but how do we do it, right? Um, and I think the answer is in this next point, that we can only kind of count the cost of our priorities when we actually kind of give up our identity to Jesus. We count the cost of our identity. Uh, so Tim Keller, when he's speaking on our passage today, he talks about how do we become the type of people that can actually throw our whole lot into Jesus and say, we're, we're really gonna follow him. And he says that the only way we do that is if our hearts can be warmed by Jesus's heart towards us. Um, the, the, the kind of thing that Tim's trying to say here uh, is that our hearts are naturally prone to making Jesus the center of our lives. It's, it's, our hearts are much more prone to make other things the center of our lives. And so what has to happen is our hearts have to be transformed, they have to be molded, they have to be shaped by the warmth of Jesus's love that we've experienced in our real lives. Uh, so the image that comes to mind for me that's helpful for me is if you think about metal, uh, there's two different ways that you can shape metal. Uh, the first is, you know, you can hit metal with a blunt object over and over and over again and slowly over time kind of build it into the shape that you want. Uh, the second thing that you can do with metal is you can heat it, right? Um, that will help it bend a lot easier, and sometimes if you get hot enough, it will actually melt, and then you can pour it into a cast and then kind of shape it into the shape that you're desiring. And I think often what happens for us is when we think about what following Jesus is like, we think about entering into his kingdom is like, we tend to think about that first option, that we actually need to kind of like beat ourselves into shape. To be like Jesus means that we have to kind of hit ourselves over and over again. And the thing that we hit ourselves with is shame, it's guilt, it's a bunch of shoulds, right? And that's not what Jesus wants from us at all. It's not that there's no place for discipline in the Christian life, there really is. But Jesus wants that discipline to ultimately radiate out from a place of knowing his love and experiencing it personally. Um, and you kind of see that as you look at the gospel, that Jesus does the only thing that can ultimately change us. The only thing that can actually change us is love. And that's what he does. And we see that all around us. We can see that uh, kind of broadly speaking. We can know that in our own lives. But we forget that often. Uh, and you can even look out like kind of in the big stories, right? All the fairy tales, all the, all the literature that's been written. You see that love is the thing that changes people. Uh, so, for example, you can think of uh, the fairy tale Snow White, right? Um, it's love's true kiss that awakens her, that transforms her. Love is at work. Uh, or you can think about uh, the Prince and the Frog, right? It's, again, love's true kiss that changes this man back from a frog into the prince. Um, love is transforming us. Uh, again, it's true of our literary works, too. So the thing that comes to mind for me is Les Miserables, right? 
It's the love of the priest and the gift of the silver that he gives to Jean Valjean that ultimately transforms his view of himself and how he understands who he is and ultimately changes him at his core. Uh, he, he sings these song, this, this, uh, this song, and these are the lyrics to it. He says, yet why did I allow this man, he's talking about the priest, to touch my soul and to teach me love? He treated me like any other. He gave me his trust. He called me brother. My life he claims for God above. Can such things be? For I had come to hate the world, this world that always hated me. What he's saying is that it's love that's transforming him. It's doing something to his identity. It's making him different. And the thing that we see is it's not just true in fairy tales. It's not just true in literature. It's also true of human love as well. Uh, the two kind of ideas that come to mind for me here are think about uh, marriage and then babies. Uh, marriage, uh, yes, there's a lot of loving feelings, but ultimately it's that loving commitment that you make to another person that ultimately changes the way that you conceive of yourself, right? There's radical different priorities that come along because you are now ultimately one person, right? You're one flesh. That happens and it changes how you conceive yourself and how you see the world. Uh, the second right is babies. Uh, when you meet that baby, for the first time, you cease to be just you, and now you are mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, you know, aunt, uncle. Um, you are not yourself anymore. There's some change that's happened. Your heart has been melted by love. And so what we see that scripture is ultimately telling us is that the fairy tales are true, the stories are true, uh, that these experiences of love that we have on a human level are also true about our cosmic relationship with God that we can actually experience it and know that love in the person of Jesus who we see right here before us. This is actually how we become the people who count the cost of following Jesus, by knowing his love and actually seeing him pay the ultimate cost. And he does all this just simply because you're his beloved. He loves you. That is what changes us. But I think the, the hard thing for us oftentimes is like, how do you apply love Right? That's kind of a weird thing. Like, how do you apply love? How do you make that happen? I think just like any other kind of love, you can't force it, right? You can't kind of uh, hold someone hostage and say, work on my timeline, do these things for me. That's not really love. That's often what we kind of tend to do with God is we want him to work in our way, in our time. And so what we're called to is just simply to spend time with God, be around him, get to know him, let him animate your life. Um, and I think no matter if you're a Christian or not, you probably know that if you are following Christ, reading scripture is probably a good thing to do. Um, but one of the problems that we often run into is that we tend to read scripture the same way we read everything else. Uh, we tend, kind of tend to read scripture like a news article or something that we need to accomplish on our day that we can kind of check the box off. And instead, what Jesus calls us to when we come to his word is to actually enter into the story, enter into the relationship that's really there. So that when you read places in scripture like John 17, where Jesus says that he's not praying for the disciples who believe right then, but he's actually praying for those who will believe through their word that he is specifically praying for you. All right, Jesus, we have recorded history of him praying for you. That's amazing, enter into that story. Or when you see places in scripture where Jesus is talking to Peter, and he says, Peter, Satan demanded to sift you like the wheat but I have prayed for you so that your faith may not fail. Are we able to kind of conceive that that's the same interceptor that we all have? That that's the same savior that also prays on our behalf, that helps our faith stand? That's what we're being called into. And being able to enter into that reality, it actually helps us to forego comfort when Jesus calls us to forego comfort. 
We actually get to look upon him who's faced kind of the ultimate homelessness of being cast out from heaven and hearing or, being, or having to speak those words to the father saying, Father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we hear him say that also that we know that we never have to say that. Or maybe when Jesus calls us uh, into some level of family discord, some uncomfortability there, we can actually look to Jesus who faced the ultimate uh, discomfort with his family, not just his earthly family, but also with his father. He took all of the wrath of our sin, all the judgment we deserved on his shoulders. He knows what family discomfort feels like. So when we're called to give up kind of convenient circumstances, we can actually look to Jesus who took the most inconvenient path of suffering, misunderstanding, and rejection. We have someone who knows what this is like and someone who loves us to the end. So friends, there ultimately is a cost to following Jesus. And if anybody tells you different, they're lying to you. But what Jesus really wants you to know, and he doesn't want you to miss, is that he's paid the ultimate cost for you so that he can love you into his family. So look for this in his word, see it out. Know that if you kind of put your faith into Jesus, that this power to pay the cost is given to you, all through that love relationship that you have with Jesus for us to remember that you are no longer your own, but that you actually and truly do belong to the beloved. Let's pray. Father, we are so often prone to error. We ask that your true smile would shine upon us and give us a vision for a beautiful life in Christ. We ask that you would open our eyes and help us to submit to you in true humility and joy. And Lord, by your spirit and your word, would you help us to fulfill the course that you have marked out before us so we may follow you wherever you take us. And Lord, we only ask that wherever you take us that we might be with you. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from New City, a church in Cincinnati, Ohio. Visit our website at newcitycincy.org for more sermons and resources. That's newcitycincy.org. Thanks for joining us today, and God bless you.